Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in an awkward situation? Yeah. Let let me ask you a a follow-up question. Have you ever been the one that made it awkward? (laughs) I remember a few months back, I went to a new barber. And, you know, he's sitting there and he's cutting my hair and we're talking and stuff. And he says, "Uh, so what what do you do? What's your job? What do you do for a living? And uh, I knew that this question was coming. And I know every time I answer, uh, I get the same reaction. And so he's there and he's, he's cutting hair and, and, and he says, hey, man, so what do you do? And I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And that very sentence froze the whole entire barbershop. I mean, it got so quiet. Every razor got turned off. The television froze, you know. And it became very awkward. And, uh, but actually, as we continued uh, to talk and hang out, um, he found out that uh, we actually are becoming friends, which is great. Awkward. Well, the reason I brought that up is because, uh, yet again, we are about to encounter in just a few minutes here a very awkward situation because I get the joy this morning to talk about money. Money. Now, listen, you don't want me to talk about money, and I don't want to talk about money, right? So what that means is this Sunday is going to be amazing, uh, and you came to the right day, but we have to talk about it because Christ talked about it. And so in this series, we're looking at the book of Luke and seeing what it is that Jesus had to say. And let me just tell you, when you look at scripture, Jesus had a lot to say about money. I mean, he had a lot to say. In fact, 25% of his teaching were about money. Now, I want you to think about that. Let's just say one out of every four sermons preached here at Inspire was about money. Just think about that. One every four sermons was about money. That's, that's pretty crazy. Can you imagine? Well, here's what I also want to say. Whenever Jesus taught about money, it was never really about money. Whenever Jesus really taught about money, it was never really about money. And so I will follow suit and let you know today is less about money and more about the inner structures and workings of your heart. And so the title of the message this morning is called The Manager. The Manager. Jesus has always sort of flipped the script on the cultural narratives within our heart. For example, when Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, that word there that he used, blessed, is actually the word for happiness. And what Jesus is saying is that you are more happy when you give than when you receive. Now, if we were in a real uh, Pentecostal, excited church, y'all would have said amen. (laughs) 
But the reality is, is that we may say amen in our minds, but we actually don't really agree with that statement, do we? Now, all sorts of social science research has been shown that Jesus is actually right. Surprise, surprise. How's that? Surprise, surprise. All right. Right? And so, and so watch this, uh, sociologists uh, Hillary Davidson and Christian Smith wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity, and in this book, this is what they've concluded, it'll be on the screen. It says, people are radically generous, people who are radically generous are happier, healthier, live longer, have a stronger sense of purpose, lower levels of depression and anxiety, more interested in personal growth, better long-term relationships, and have a stronger presence of, of love. They go on in the book to say this, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be a result of not spending more money on oneself, but rather giving up money to others. The data examined here shows that shows this not to only be a simply not to only simply be a nice idea, but a social scientific fact. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 16? It'll also be on the screens, of course. Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read from a version that we don't normally read from this morning. But that is because uh, there is so much contextual and cultural layering to this passage that I thought this version might be one that will best help all of us be able to wrap our minds around what might be happening this morning. So I'm reading from the message. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this that I hear about you? You're, you're fired and I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as a manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned onto the streets, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were, uh, who were in debt to his master. He said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down quickly now and write 50. To the next, he said, how much do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, here, here, take your bill and write 80. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to create survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. 
Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will ever put you in charge of the whole store? No worker can serve two masters. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You cannot serve both God and money. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as, as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them, you are masters of making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. All right, ready? I should have wore, Phil, I should have wore your seatbelt shirt today and told people, buckle up. Let's pray. Lord, may your spirit illuminate the text this morning, that your glory would be shown through your word, transform our hearts, renew our minds, that this message today will change even our subconscious narratives and set captives free in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. This morning, I really want to talk to you from three perspectives, the money, the motive, and the master. The money, the motive, and the master. Number one, the money. See, you can be technically generous with your money and still not be radically generous in your heart, right? Jesus calls us to be relationally generous, which means to not always be critical or unforgiving, to be emotionally generous, making ourselves vulnerable, willing to be involved. He calls us to be generous with our homes, which is hospitality, generous with our time, our talents, and our giftings. And while you can be financially generous without being generous in your heart, you cannot possibly be generous in your heart without being radically generous with your money. Did you hear that? It says this, you, can't, you cannot possibly be generous in your heart without being radically generous with your money. It's impossible. In other words, you could be generous with your money but not be generous in your heart. But it cannot work the other way around. If you're generous in your heart, then you will be radically generous with your money. Now, I get it. That's a very strong statement to make, especially coming from a preacher and especially for people who have been uh, really... Uh, abused and misled, uh, as Pastor Phil let, said last week, uh, mentioning uh, different pastors and preachers that we see being taken advantage of when it comes to finances, I understand. But the reality is, is that Jesus calls us to be radically generous in our hearts. In our hearts. And today we're looking at a text that can be a little distracting. And it's distracting in the sense that Jesus comes up with his parable and he looks at this crooked manager and then he tells his disciples, now be like him. <laughs> right? A little confusing, isn't it? See, we don't know as much as we ought to know about the commerce and business dealings of that time. And there are some things about this parable that, 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 that may not make a lot of sense. But basically what happened is this, is there was this really wealthy man and he hired someone to manage his finances. It was basically a combination of like a COO and a CFO, right? And this manager, and this manager would take this, <clears throat> excuse me, this wealthy man's estate and earnings and so forth and he would run it. 
right? He would invest certain monies, and he had the power to do that. And those investments were law. Those investments were law. And so what the manager did was binding. So this was a manager. Another, another word is a steward. But, but he's obviously not stewarding or managing his own money, things that belong to him, rather resources that belong to someone else. Right. Now, before I get too far in the deep end of this message, let me just say this, because it'd be amiss if I didn't, point out that in many ways, this manager is us. In many ways, this manager is us. And, and what you need to know is that everything you have is not yours, now, I won't spend a lot of time on this because Pastor Phil last week already expounded on this fact. But let me just remind you that not everything you have is yours. In fact, nothing you have is yours. I'll say that again. Nothing you have is yours. Nothing. Not one thing. Not one iota. Not one penny. Not one piece of paper. Nothing is yours. The lungs that you breathe is not your oxygen. The, 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 the cell structure that you are made of. Do you understand? It's not yours. It all belongs to God. All of it. Every sunset, every wind, everything, all of it belongs to God. None of it is yours. You see. And so what happens is the manager finds out what happened. He calls him in. He says, you're fired. And the guy gets nervous. He says, what am I going to do? How am I going to get another job? He says, I can't beg. I, I can't go into some sort of manual labor. I, that, that's not me. I, 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 I'm a desk type of person. And so he says, I know what I'm going to do. And, and, and he begins to call in the people that, that owed his master. And, and he begins to cancel out portions of their debt. Now, the reason why he's able to do that is because it was okay for a manager, for a tax collector to add large amounts of interest to whatever it is that is on top of, thank you, that is on top of the fee. And so same thing with Matthew, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was actually an arch tax collector. What they would do is as long as they were getting the taxes that Rome needed, then Rome didn't care how much more they charged and they would charge a lot. And the same thing in this parable. The, the, as long as the, 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 the master was able to, to come and get what it is that he was owed, then the law allowed this person to go ahead and charge extra fees in addition, you see. And so what he did was he said, listen, I'm going to begin to cut your bill down. And basically, I'm cutting out my fees. I'm cutting out my fees. The manager is in a dire situation. And one has to wonder, how did it get to this? How did it get to this? And, and really the answer comes down to probably a couple things. But one is greed. Greed. See, in Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he points out that greed is something subtle. That it hides from its victims. In fact, I'm just going to read a portion. It says this, that greed is something that is hidden from you. It, it will deceive you. It will fool you. Greed and materialism by its nature hides itself for you, from you. 
For, you know, for example, Tim Keller says, look, Jesus doesn't say, uh, watch out, be careful not to slide into adultery. And the answer is this, because anyone who's committing adultery knows they're committing it. They don't just roll over one day and say, oh, who are you? Right? <laughs> However, greed is different. Nobody who is materialistic feels they're materialistic. You see. Nobody sees their greed. Wow. And this is so interesting how that you begin to shift paradigms. And, and, and this thing called greed is slow and, and, and subtle, but, but it begins to shift how you view the world, how you view yourself, how you view others. Atheist philosopher Frederick Nietzsche was right when he says this, what once was done for the love of God is now done for the love of money, i.e. for the love of that which is present affords us the highest feeling of power and good conscience. Wow. And that's because of this. When it comes to money, under money, there's always a motive. There's always a motive. See, when Jesus challenges us, as Pastor Phil rightly puts it, to let our wallets be discipled as well, the reason Jesus wants that is because what he's saying is, listen, uh, 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 the reason that I want that is because I want your dreams, you see. The, the, what, that, that thing that you dream about, that thing, if I ever had that, then maybe I'll be content. If my dream ever came true, then maybe I'll be happy. And it's almost like we have sub-dreams of our big dream, right? If I only got this job, and if I have a dream of owning this house, or if I have a dream of having this career, or this education, or, or, or whatever the situation might be, and only to discover, of course, that when you get that, right, it's never enough, you see. We think the problem is academic. We think the problem is superficial. We think the problem is behavioral. But what the real problem is, is there is a monster that lives within our hearts. And Jesus says, listen, just, just don't you understand that those are false dreams that you are chasing after? Those are dreams that will never actually satisfy. Money can be a monster. Money is so dangerous spiritually that even not having it can destroy you. Because you begin to envy, you begin to desire, and you, you will do whatever it takes to get it. Do you see that? Do you see that? People will, will, will go and, and they, will, they will have a desire for money and will daydream about money. Why? Because we feel like if we can get it, then we'll get power. Then we'll get power. We'll be in charge of our lives. We'll be in control finally. People won't push us around, right? If you don't have it, then the monster of money will fill you with anxiety. It will fill you with bitterness towards other people who have more than you. It will fill you with envy. It will always make you worry about money. It will make you work too hard. It will make you trample on other people. The monster of money. That grows inside of us. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, I don't know how many have read the book or watched the movies, but there's the voyage of the Dawn Treader. 
and there is a kid named Eustace. And if you remember, one night Eustace finds a cave. Do you remember this? He finds a cave with this enormous pile of treasure. And he was elated. He began to imagine a life of ease, a life of power, a life where he is in control, where he gets recognized, right? And he ended up falling asleep on this pile of treasure. And when he woke up, however, to his horror, he had turned into a hideous dragon, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greed. Dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. Wow. I wonder how much you can identify the monster that lives in you. Oh, not me. <laughs> right. Because what you think is a dream can actually turn into a nightmare. Isn't it interesting how we just think with just a little bit more, a little bit more in the paycheck, a, a little more Cushing's in, in your savings or retirement, right? A little bigger home, just a little bit bigger home, right? Just a little more stuff in the closet, just a little bit more, right? right, right. right? And, and, and the, old, the, the old saying, the more you get, the more you want is truth, and it cuts across the human condition, We've done work on human desire and how human desire is infinite. We have, we have a theological level of it. We are made by God and for God. And so nothing less from that will ever satisfy. Do you ever wonder why you're not satisfied? Look at humanity and why. Why is it that humanity is never satisfied? Because we were made for God. We were made from God and for God, by God. For God. And anything less than that will never satisfy. You see? It's true. None of it can bear up under the weight and the pressure of human desire. So as a result, many of us live in this chronic sense of dissatisfaction, right? And this, this is especially true when it comes to wealth and possessions, any Disney fans in the house? Any Disney fans? You just, okay, two of you. Wow. Now listen, I follow some of y'all on social media, and I know there's more than two of you. You know what I'm saying? Like you have your regular tree, and then you have like your Disney tree. You know what I'm saying for Christmas? Like you have your regular Christmas tree, and then you have like your Disney tree with all the ornament. Like you are Disneyed out, right? Well, Walt is famous for saying that Disneyland will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. Why? Why did he say that? Because he knew that the park would always have to be evolving, always have to be changing, because we will never be satisfied. Eventually, that would get old. And so there'd have to be some changes. There'd have to be some details, maybe a whole structural change, maybe a whole new section of the park, or maybe just small tweaks, maybe just little updates, right? The reason they purchased so much land in the beginning is because he knew about the human condition, that we will always want more. See? But Walt Disney isn't the only person that knows about this. Tech companies, of course, know about this, right? Google, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they all know this too. If you watch that Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, right? 
where they explain that the reasons why these platforms are free to us is because advertisers will pay to get their product uh, uh, to grab your attention, right? And they grab all the data, you know what I'm saying? To understand what makes you tick, what desires you have, what interests you have, so they can figure out the best way to get you to want to buy their product, their brand, their lifestyle. And so then we come up with terms like TikTok made me buy it, right? And you know that shit, right? Have you ever like, you'll, you'll say something random, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you'll be like neon green, purple, spotted Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then next thing you know, you're scrolling through and here's a neon green, purple, spotted Tyrannosaurus Rex for sale. Right? And you're like, they're listening. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. J.D. Rockefeller was once uh, being interviewed by a journalist. For those of you who don't know, he was an oil tycoon. And he was asked this, how much money is enough? And his answer was this, just a little bit more. See, no matter how much money you make or things that you acquire, success you go after, you will always just want a little bit more. I wonder when this manager began to charge and began to say, well, I'll just get just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Wow, isn't that crazy? The reality is, is there's a monster that lives within us. And the question becomes, well, what do we do about it? And in some ways, the answer is, well, we become radically generous. We become radically generous. Let me just read to you verses 8 and 9 again. He says, now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager and why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving at their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way. But for what is right? But for what is right? Do you see that? What Jesus is telling us to do is not just to be generous for generous sake. But that the motive behind why you should be generous is equally as important because here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The person who is stingy and the person who is generous could actually be controlled by the same idol. The desire to be liked, the desire to get on well with others, the desire to be recognized, the desire to be seen. We do that all the time, right? You go to all sorts of places where, where, where they put on plaques for the person that gave the most and, and the highest person, you know, right? We, we do it all the time. Hmm. This is why the manager was doing it. But Jesus says, look, if this guy who doesn't even know me Right? If this guy who is not a follower of Christ can be generous for all the wrong reasons, how much more should you be for all the right reasons? Mm. See, because throughout all of Scripture, God never says it's about the doing. Rather, it's about why one is doing. And yet God still calls us to do. Throughout all of scripture, it's never really about the doing, it's about the why of the doing. 
But yet he still calls us to do, doesn't he? To, to practice what we preach. That, because to have proclamation without demonstration leads to disaster. Jesus Christ didn't tell people, go serve others. But the Bible says that he got up from the dinner table. That he put his garments aside and that he wrapped his body with a towel. And the Bible says that he got down on the ground and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Demonstration, I mean, proclamation without demonstration just leads to disaster. Listen to how pastor, thinker, and author Thabiti puts it. He says this, the Christian life is both evangel and ethic, proclamation and practice, inseparably joined. The two must be held together. The ethic flowing from the evangel, the evangel empowering the ethic. We dare not break them apart lest we damage Christianity itself. And then Jesus goes on to say, and you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, for those of you who are astute Bible students, you might have heard that and be like, doesn't Jesus say that somewhere else? Oh, he does. Yes, very good. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now here he is saying the same thing. And he's talking to a group of Pharisees, and he's basically saying, listen, you know, from the outer appearance, you look great, but the inside, you're all messed up. You're all messed up. And he says, from, from the outer appearance, you look healthy, but inside, you are unhealthy. Now, for those of you who have the NIV translation, you'll see that there are little markings by that word healthy and unhealthy. And then if you go to the bottom of your page, you'll see that is because those words actually mean generous and stingy. The, the Greek word for healthy here implies someone who is generous. The Greek word for unhealthy here implies someone who is stingy. Wow. We're all about holistic health. And I wonder how we measure up. Generous and stingy. John Mark Comer puts it that Jesus here is talking about two different ways of looking at the world. You can either look through the world as a place of plenty or look through the world as a place of scarcity. And if you look at the world through the place of, uh, 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 of plenty, then you, are, then you are actually living a healthy lifestyle, healthy inside and out. But if you look at the world as a place of scarcity, then you actually are living an unhealthy lifestyle. 
And, and, and he goes on to talk about how this brings it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When you read in Genesis, you see over and over and over again where God gave and 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 God gave. But then something changed because it said, and God gave. And then it said this, but Eve took on her own. She took. She looked at what was forbidden and took. The motive of the heart changed. And in that moment, Eve became a servant to something else. Which, of course, causes a dilemma. See, when Jesus says a servant cannot serve two masters, he's not just pointing to the dilemma of the servant but he's also pointing to the differing demands of the masters. We're almost done. The master. The master. Serving is difficult. Have any of you ever been a server in a restaurant? Can you just put your hands up? Anybody ever been a server? Maybe you are a server in a restaurant? No? Wow, okay. Well, let me just say this. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's hard. It's hard. And, and part of it's hard is because, you know, people suck. <laughs> right? I mean, we walk in and we're so entitled. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? We want the best seat and the best part of the restaurant. We want our order. We want it now and so on and so forth. And, and it's one of those things where, where either they bring out the food too fast or they bring it out too slow. Right? Either they bring it out too fast because we wanted to linger and we wanted to hang out. Or they bring it out too slow. We're hungry. What's going on? <laughs> and so uh, a little while back, I was at uh, Texas Roadhouse. Ever been to Texas Roadhouse? Mm, okay, we got a lot of mmms there. No servers, but we got a lot of eaters. Praise God. Hey. Okay. Uh, and so Texas Roadhouse, right? So, so we're sitting there sitting there and um and you know as as they guide you to your chair what is it that they normally grab on the way to your seat the bread right they grab that bread well let me just tell you something so i'm sitting there and she, she, here's the seat and we all sit down and, and she puts the bread on and then she says oh she goes and i bought another basket of bread because i know you would have asked for it I said, excuse me? And she says, oh, you don't want it? I said, I didn't say that. <laughs> I did not say that, but the audacity, ma'am. Do you have extra butter? <laughs> it is, I thought about getting some and just having it up here as like a little illustration, like eating before. Praise Jesus. <laughs> it's hard to serve. And I understand that the concept of being a servant is offensive, but as the saying goes, the question is not, are you a servant, but rather, who are you serving? Because you're serving somebody. You're serving something. Oh, don't be fooled. Come on, don't be that naive. Let's not be that ignorant. You're serving something. You're serving somebody. You may not want to admit it. You may be too proud. You may be like, I don't think so. I ain't served nobody. I'm my own person. No, you are. The question is, what or who are you serving? 
Now, as many of you know, I am a big Lord of the Rings fan, not just of the book, but of the movies. And for those of you who maybe don't know anything about it, Lord of the Rings is basically this idea that there were several rings that were made, uh, and, but there was one ring, and all these rings are kind of powerful, but there's one ring that is like the most powerful, right? And basically it says one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. So there's this one ring that is all powerful. And in the movie, there's this creature named Gollum. He wasn't always a creature, but he eventually became a creature because he stumbled upon the ring, this little ring. And eventually what happens is this ring that he possessed began to control him, began to change him, you see. And eventually another person comes along who you see on the screen named Frodo. He finds the ring. He, he, he is, well, he actually is given the ring. And eventually, as he is in possession of the ring, he soon figures out that the ring possesses him. See, over time, because of circumstances and situations, your possessions end up possessing you. You become more self-centered. It becomes about our world and nobody else. It becomes about our needs and our problems and our advancement. And there's a subtle shift that slowly creeps into our motivations. And all of a sudden, your heart is turned to something else. Your aspirations and your awe becomes distracted by something that overpromises and underdelivers. And then all of a sudden, what happens is this manager doesn't just become a manager, but slowly he becomes a managing servant. Working for something that he can't control. See, work becomes draining. Raising kids goes from feeling like a blessing to a curse. Friendships become superficial because the reality is, is that you cannot serve two masters. What once was a joy and excited you to get up on a Monday morning to go to your new job, now you dread because you cannot serve two masters. Do you see? And the only way to break free is to redefine what your treasure is. If Jesus is your means to get to heaven, then let me just say this. You won't get Jesus and you won't get heaven. If Jesus is your means to get to heaven, you'll get neither. But if heaven is your means to get to Jesus, you'll get both. In other words, you have to redefine what your treasure is. Is it Christ? Or for those of you who are Christian here this morning, is Christ just a means so you can be happy? And happiness is your real treasure. Is Christ just a means so that way you can feel secure? Meaning security is your real treasure. Is Christ just a means so that way you can feel accepted? So acceptance is your real treasure. Which means, listen, if security 
or acceptance or happiness is your real treasure, then you'll trade whatever means necessary in order to get it. And pretty soon, what you discover is just over and over again, unhappiness, dissatisfaction, silent frustration, and burnout. And you know you do. You're tired, but you're, but you're tired from inside, you see. You're stressed and worried, but it's, it's all here. It's all, it's all here. And little circumstances will come in and, and begin to, to fluctuate that, and you'll, you'll, you'll feel elated again and excited again, but, but that is momentary. Is Christ your treasure? You see, the wonderful and perplexing thing about the gospel is that when you discover not only that in heaven, Jesus is your treasure, but that in heaven, what you discover is that you are his. Did you know that? Pastor Tim Keller said this, Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure, for you are a treasured people. When you see him dying on the cross, he's making you his treasure. When you see the empty tomb and you think about it, you hear about the empty tomb, he's making you his treasure. You see? Money will, and when you realize that, money will cease to be the currency of your significance and your security. And you will want to bless others with what you'll have. I mean, you'll just give it away. Because to the degree that you grasp the gospel, money, the monster of money will have no dominion over you. Think about his costly grace until it radically changes you, you see. Until it radically changes you. And here's why. Because every time you grasp the reality that Christ first made you his treasure, you cannot help but make him yours. I'll say that again. Every time you grasp the reality that Christ first made you his treasure, you cannot help but make him yours, you see. As John Newton once put it, since I have known the Savior's name and what for me he bore, no more I toil for empty fame. I thirst for gold no more. Placed by his hand in this retreat, I make his love my theme. And see that all the world calls great is but a waking dream. We have some next steps that we are ending each of these messages with. And the, the, the first one is simply this. Um, can you ask yourself, what does it look like to be more generous? What does it look like to be more generous? Maybe you're currently not generous at all. Maybe you're currently not giving at all. Would you consider giving? Or, or maybe you are currently giving, but would you consider asking yourself, well, what does it look like to give sacrificially? I didn't ask who wants to give the greatest amount because after all, we might have print out a list and see who, who gave the greatest amount. 
in any organization. But that doesn't mean that that gift was sacrificial. That could have been a drop in the bucket. But then you look to somebody who maybe that number isn't as high, but man, was that a sacrifice. I wonder, who do you think is following Christ? That's the first call to action. The second call to action is this, though, which this is really important. Will you make Christ your treasure? Will you make Christ your treasure? Would you stand to your feet? As we get ready to respond, I wonder how many of you here this morning can relate to the fact, can resonate with the fact that there is something inside of you that is never satisfied, that is always wanting, even if it's just a little bit more. You're stressed, you're riddled with anxiety, you're constantly comparing yourself. You're constantly thinking about what life could be like. Or if you only had this, this will make you happy. And, 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 and you're constantly trying to figure out you're, you're, you're overworking and, 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 you're, and, and you're scratching and, and clawing to try to make it up the ladder to, to, to whatever it is that you think is going to give you value, respect, power influence, peace, healing, joy. And you know, you know it won't. For you, would you make Christ your treasure this morning? Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we get ready to respond, that Lord Jesus, we will take our eyes off of whatever it is, Lord God, that we became asphyxiated to. And Heavenly Father, that you will index our hearts back towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.